The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. You're listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show. With host Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Brought to you by Underdog Sports. Tune in every week as Tyler and Zan recap the biggest storylines and news in the NBA. Welcome to episode 51 of the Underdog Sports NBA show. I am Tyler Laurie and I am joined by my co-host out in L.A., Zandrick Ellison. Zan, not a lot of movement since we were on the show. Do you have anything to talk about this week? There's always something to talk about, right? But it's going to be a lot of speculation and a lot of our analysis, you know, take it or leave it. If you don't trust us, it's time to click out right now because we're not breaking any news. Well, there's nothing. I mean, that's the funny part about this. We have, we talked a lot about James Harden and Russell Westbrook last week. And then really the only kind of big, I I guess like the big news stories in the NBA have been the Heat are still trying to trade for Brad (laughs) Beal and John Wall. I want to cut this out. Actually, I have a bone to pick with you about that, actually. What do you got? So there was one big story that led all the sports blogs, top story on Reddit, beloved Hall of Famer, future Hall of Famer, Tim Duncan <laughs> joins the bench for the Spurs. And it was a slow news day. So that was the big story of the day. Great move for the Spurs. That happened on Monday, right? It happened on Monday. Last week, the week prior, our faithful co-host told me that Tim Duncan was joining the Spurs as an assistant coach, huge story. But he said, don't say anything. You know, we have to be, you know, we have to keep it under the vest. This is an inside <laughs> store, so I don't want to blow the story. <laughs> I wait a week, and then I see Shams report it and get 100,000 retweets. It could have been us. We could have been famous. And instead, we're doing a freaking podcast talking about it three days later. I did have that news before Shams. Uh, there is no question about that. I had that several days before Shams. But... We're, you know, I don't know. And that, that's um, not an uncommon thing, just for the record, like to show people at home. Tyler Laurie does have inside sources, does have street cred. You do from time to time give tips like that to me and they turn out to be accurate. We don't report them because you want to be loyal to your sources. And, and that's not the kind of show we are. We're not shams. We're not woes. But it does give you some credibility as a. You know, it's funny. I, I don't ever... Those guys work so hard, right? Like, Woj and Sham... I, there's a chance that Shams knew about it a week ago and just wasn't able to use it. And that's where it's well, like... Same with you. Like, it's like somebody said it doesn't mean it's confirmed. Doesn't mean the paperwork signed. You know, it doesn't mean it's announced yet. Th- this one, I know when I sent it to you, I don't know if I told you this or not, but this one was I knew was 100% true because the source after, like for my source was Tim Duncan. Like, not Tim Duncan told me, but the guy that told me talked to Tim Duncan about it. And so, I mean, here's the thing. I think it's funny. I'm, I'm not trying to be Chris Broussard. Like, I'm not trying to get clout on Twitter. And, I, you know, I, those guys, Woj and Shams and Chris Haynes, like, they can break all the news they want. I have no desire to break it. A lot of times I hear things and don't even say them on the show and just speculate about them because it's much more fun to do that without sourcing your information. But those guys, like, they got to get it from a bunch of other people. And I have a journalism undergrad degree, Zan, and I know how it is. You can't use one source. So that wouldn't even have been an okay thing for me to say. But what did they teach you in journalism classes to find the story, get the lead, get the angle? And just bury it in your back pocket? Is that what they said? Yeah, that was actually exactly. That's what they wrote on the chalkboard 
This was before <laughs> whiteboards. I think you missed the last day of class, maybe about printing this story, because I think that's a big part of it too. I, I just don't, you know, if I was chasing Twitter cloud or something like that, now people are turning it off because we're not even talking about the NBA. You're just berating me for not allowing us to be. Uh, <laughs> it was like know, the fake. third or fourth story that we've like, theoretically, no one would have believed us necessarily. But if you do, you know, three or four correct in a row, people start to believe you. You know what's funny? And this is where I wonder, like, NBA assistant coaching news is like not that typical where people get like excited about it, right? Like things happen all the time, like call up in sports management just tweeted today, I think that like Brian Keefe is taking a job with the Oklahoma City Thunder and like nobody really cares. But like this Tim Duncan story, and and, you know, just so guys know kind of a look behind the curtain, like Zan and I didn't decide we were going to leave the show with this. He just brought this up, but now we're talking about it. It's a little tangent here, but like, why do people care so much? Like nobody really knows what Tim Duncan's impact is going to be. He's been a consultant the last couple of years with the Spurs anyway, but it's just like, I guess it's a cool story that like one of the best players of all time is going to go work for the guy that drafted him and coached him his whole career. Or is it just that it is a slow news day? I think, well, I think it's a little bit of a slow news day. Like, and that's true with most stories in like this news cycle. It's like, if I had a scandal, um, you know, I would just wait for the day where the bigger scandal breaks and try to slip it in. And it, this is the opposite where it's like, you have a positive story. If you announced it the same day Kawhi Leonard signed with the Clippers, no one would care. But, you know, it's a time in the period in the news cycle where it was slower. But I do think it's important for the Spurs because, you know, they still have that luster, that organizational, um, you know, cachet. And it was threatening to go away because, you know, Kawhi Leonard's gone, Tim Duncan's gone, Manu's gone, Tony Parker's gone. The days of title contention are gone. And so they, they had a risk of like just becoming like a kind of boring 7-8 seed. And this kind of keeps them, keeps the brand at least. And to the other thing about that, and this is something, you know, they, they lost assistant coaches for the first time in a while. Now, Itor Messina went to Olympiacos. That's a little bit different. And he's president of basketball operations. But Emo Yudoka goes to Philly as an assistant. Like, that almost never happens. You know, like, they don't lose guys to the same type of role. And I think, like, I'm surprised. Like, obviously, the press release led off with Will Hardy uh, going, coming to the front of the bench. And Will has – he graduated from Williams. He's worked for the Spurs since 2010. He was their video guy, head video guy, you know, super talented young guy in the industry. Like, I've actually been told by a couple different people that, like, he's kind of a dark horse to get the job after Pop retires, depending on when that might be. I know a lot of people are really saying, like, it's going to be Becky Hammond. I'd be surprised, but she's also on the front of the bench. And then Timmy's going to be on the front of the bench, which is surprising because you don't see guys go – from off the court to right in front of the bench. Now, part of the reason might be Zan that he's too tall to sit behind the bench. You know, maybe they think he needs to stretch his legs a little bit, but. But it's interesting to like, do you think unless I always thought this about Dirk Nowitzki, like he took some pay cuts and now he's probably getting paid, you know, you know, Venmo under the table from Mark Cuban. Crypto cryptocurrency. That's why they hired Bob. That's why they hired Bob Volgaris because they need somebody to transport Bitcoin. Yeah. But Tim Duncan made how much in his career? $200 million. I don't know. And how much does the third assistant coach on a team make? Is he making that? Or is he like secretly getting a million dollars a year as like a brand ambassador in addition to being a a basketball coach? I highly doubt Tim Duncan's making a million dollars to be an assistant. I also would say, I don't know. There are probably some assistants making close to seven figures. Like I would say like Ron Adams probably makes close to seven figures, guys like that who have been assistants for a long time. I don't know what Tim Duncan makes. My guess is probably between like, I don't know, four and 600K, like somewhere like 500,000 a year or something. He might even make less than that to be totally frank. 
Uh, what did we want to see? Tim Duncan, what he made? Uh, I mean, it's hundred. I don't know. Some of these are un- unreliable, but they say one hundred and thirty million net worth. So he's not no, doing. It he made two hundred and forty-two million. Yeah, but I'm saying like net worth. Um, I, I would say this though too. I think Tim Duncan, you know, younger fans kind of just say, "Oh, Popovich, genius, right? The greatest." He's like the Bill Belichick. I'm old enough to remember when Popovich took over as the the coach, and he was. Um, in the front office and it was the year that the team kind of tanked when David Robinson got hurt and they won the lottery. And then suddenly, you know, <laughs> Greg Popovich decides to be a full-time coach uh, and, and quite benefited from Tim Duncan's brilliance and, you know, coachability for, for 20 years. So, and, and to, Greg Popovich is not a guy who came in with like a sparkling resume. I don't believe he ever had much coaching success before the I mean, that whole, nobody ever really talks about that, but like Sean Elliott got hurt. They had David Robinson. He was hurt. And then all of a sudden in the lockout year, they luck into Tim Duncan, who could have, who could have left Wake Forest two years prior to that and been the number one pick. And they ended up getting the first pick overall and they win the title that year. And, you know, obviously the rest is history, but. But also just to jump on that, uh, his previous head coaching experience was with the Pomona Pitzer Sage Hens in the Southern California Intercollegiate athletic conference and his last year there he finished seven and 19 um and i think he, obviously he's a good coach i'm not saying he's not i think the one of the things that they, he's benefited from though too is um i think he has a military background and and so you get literally the admiral a guy with a military background to coach and tim duncan who's a guy like the rarity who stayed in college for so long and came in like a pro and has this great um, coachable attitude. I mean, it really did set the tone. I think Tim Duncan can help keep that tone because if some jerk, like, you know, in the future, uh, um, you know, they draft a little kid in the lottery next year, he's kind of goofing off and, and Tim Duncan hall of famer is telling him to keep his act together. I, you have to listen to him. Yeah, you do. I, he, you know, he's not very vocal. That's kind of always been the thing with Timmy. I, I certainly, just a super high basketball IQ. And, and again, like I, like I said, he's been around the Spurs the last couple of years since he's retired. Like he lives in San Antonio. He has a couple of businesses there. I think he, he has like a, I think he has like a car shop. He's real into cars, but I, you know, I don't know. I, I think this is a cool story. I thought it was pretty odd that the media just like went nuts with it. I really did. But again, the, the only other story also relates to Greg Popovich a little bit as well. Zan, and I know you kind of want to talk about this, so we might as well just bring it up, but it's, I think that Pop is going to coach for two more years. I think he, I think he's like forty some wins away from being the all time winningest NBA head coach. I think he wants that record, and then he wants to win an Olympic gold medal. But, but I think like that's going to be a little bit tougher than we think. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that that's going to happen, based on all these guys we're seeing pull out of international play right now. And so, nice little segue by me getting better at podcasting every week. But you want to talk about this a little bit in the sense that are these guys. Are, are we going to be able to field an Olympic team that's going to be a definitive favorite against the rest of the field? Uh, no, yeah, I, I, I did want to talk about that in, in some sense, like because that's the other big story of the week is just they're dropping like flies every every day. You hear somebody dropping out of the yeah, like uh, today was like Dame Lillard pulled out. Well, and also just like talk about the thin bench. They're saying guys like Thaddeus Young. I like Thaddeus Young. He's been invited to be on Team USA. That seems a little bit of a red flag to me. I, I think the only I think the only guy that I saw was Marcus Smart, and then today I saw Donovan Mitchell say that he was going to honor his commitment to play. But I haven't seen anyone else say they were playing. Um, and this is again just for the for the FIBA World Cup. This is not the Olympics, but still, I, I see it in the future. I would not blame anybody 
for dropping out of the Olympic team. I think it's, it's a raw deal that these guys, like um, these countries in the international basketball, like kind of, you know, fuel these guys and guilt trip them. Like, Oh, you have to be, you know, proud of your country. You have to support your country. You have to kind of come play for free while we make millions of dollars off your efforts. I think player empowerment, the age of player empowerment makes that harder. And also all the injuries we're seeing, I think it, people should not risk it for little to no money relatively to go risk their careers and where they're making, you know, $150 million on the next contract to go beat up on Slovenia and maybe, you know, tear your Achilles. Um, but in terms of like the fear, I do think it's a little odd. Like today, Julius Randall got added. Marcus Smart, you mentioned, got added. I don't think it's a shortage of talent. But if you're picking guys like Marcus Smart, like I just don't, I, I don't think like a five Marcus Smarts is a, you know, going to win in the Olympics because it's, it's a little bit more of a crapshoot. It's like a shorter game, shorter line. Upsets can happen. I, I think we have to get over the idea that this is an unbeatable juggernaut. Yeah, and I mean, we obviously saw the team. They lost what? They lost in 2004 when a bunch of guys didn't want to go play. And, you know, I, why that was, I think a lot of guys were a little bit leery of being involved in international play then. And But well, I think I, now... I remember watching it because I was a, an Iverson fan. It was just a, a wonky team, too. It was they like a, Iverson and Duncan were the two big stars. Well, Duncan right? was clearly the best player, and he gave him a huge advantage. But, you know, he had gotten foul trouble quite often in that game, in this in the series. And they had a bunch of like, that was the generation you had like Marbury and Iverson playing together and neither of them were reliable shooters. And and we were still behind the curve and understanding how important the three point shot was. So it was just like a perfect storm of like, and maybe not taking it seriously of just like getting upset. And I don't necessarily think that's going to happen again. Like the Americans quite frankly are, are better shooters now than they used to be. And they play smarter than they used to. But it's again, it's just by nature, you could, you know, the best team's not going to win the NCAA tournament all the time. The best team's not necessarily going to win the Olympics every time. So this was a, this was, they won the bronze medal, right? Is that right? I believe so. Okay. So you want to hear the roster for this team real quick while we're on this tangent? I remember it being pretty like wonky. I would love for you to try to guess the players. Do you want me to guess? I mean, it was a wild guy. I remember there was a lot of guys who couldn't shoot. So it was like, okay, hold on, hold on real quick. So Iverson, Marbury, and Duncan, you said. So that's three. All right. Keep in mind, 2004. I know. I'm trying to think. Like, Sean Marion's probably too old, too young for that, right? He is on the team. That I will give you that one. That's, okay, that's good. Sean Marion types. Um, was Amari Stoudemire on the team? Amari Stoudemire was on the team, correct. Man, you're killing it with the athletic non-shooters right now. I know. I'm just trying to think. Um, Steve Francis couldn't have been on the team, right? No, no. He wasn't even that good then. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of running out, but it was a lot of guys like that. But also, though, on that team, Dwayne Wade, LeBron, Carmelo Anthony, and then uh, Carlos Boozer, Lamar Odom, Richard Jefferson. So, like, this was a really interesting team in the sense that it was. You're right. It's a bunch of, like, length, athleticism, and they just had nobody to make outside shots. Not, they had not one. I guess Melo was the best shooter on the team. I mean, they had not one jump shooter on that team. And 2004 was – you know, LeBron was, what, the second year? Yeah, I'm looking it up. He started, he probably was ending his first year in the NBA in 2004. Yeah. Yep. And he shot 29% from three that year in his rookie season. So he wasn't really a capable shooter at that point either. So he just had a bunch of clogging the lane. And Oh, and Emeka Okafor. Can't forget about that. Emeka Okafor also on that team. Pretty amazing. I think because that was Okafor's draft class too. And they usually always took like the best collegiate player. That's kind of just the way it always have, has gone. But like, yeah, really funny. So I think it's interesting, like, 
do we know how much NBA players get paid for winning a gold medal? Like, do they get paid the same amount? I mean, obviously, I don't want to turn this into like the equal pay lawsuit and whatever, but guys get you get gold medal bonuses. But it's just not as important to NBA players as it maybe is to other, you know, as it definitely is to other athletes because they make way more than it must mean to them. So I think the issue is more like it's pride more so than anything else. Like, but it's not even pride. It's just like, it's like being Goliath. Like what does Goliath have to win in a fight against David? You know, it's like, you're only going to up, get upset and get humiliated. If, if you win, it's expected and you don't gain anything from it. Um, I, I think I see, I don't like, uh, for that reason, I, I don't like kind of pressuring these guys to play. I don't like pl- making guys play when they don't really have much to gain. The kind of allure and the luster of winning a gold medal has kind of been reduced because it's such a foregone conclusion. I don't mind the idea of it being amateurs again. I don't mind the idea of it being the best college players, and it's a good way for them to promote their brand and then become famous, and they actually gain something from the effort. Yeah, I think that's fine too. That'll never. That probably won't happen. Uh, just just because I, I just don't. They, what they should probably do. And I should say this too, Zan, I don't care either. Like if guys don't want to play, like don't play. That's totally fine with me. Like I don't, I don't have any issues with guys just saying like, look, we play super long seasons. Like I need this to rest. Like I don't want to go overseas. I don't want to put the mileage of like training on my body. Cause you do have to play a lot of games. And it's like, you know, plus they don't stay in like Olympic village. The, the experience for them, not, this is obviously world championships, but the experience for them is different anyway. They stayed on like a cruise ship the last time they were there. So it's, it's just very different experience for them. And so I don't have a problem with it either, but I do think they should do a little bit of a better job of kind of having it be like a younger pipeline. Like you, you, you shouldn't, we don't need guys to play multiple Olympics in a row anymore. There's enough good young talent that guys should, you know, have guys play when they're younger, have guys play in their early twenties. And if you play once you're done and then older guys who haven't gotten a chance to play, they can play as veterans. Maybe that's a better way to go about it. That's not the way it used to be. Like before Michael Jordan played on the dream team, he played as a college player. And my favorite player, baseball player growing up, Frank Thomas, um, like when he was in college, it was like, hey, do you want, are you going to play in the Olympics? Like it is, it used to be like the up and coming thing, you know, and like all the best college players. And it was a way to promote them and make them even more famous and get teams excited about drafting them. That's obviously harder because they're not amateurs for long, but they're in the pipeline and then they're under 18, under 16 Team USA, I think there's a way to do that still. But you, you and I are aligned on this in the sense that like, we don't necessarily think this is an issue. And the reason that this is getting reported on is because it is just a slower... For a while, Chris B. Haynes had to worry about breaking Kawhi Leonard's destination. Now, guys don't really have a lot to hang their hat on and dudes are hungry for scoops. But we don't really... This is not as big of an issue as it's being made out to seem. No, I don't even know if we'll even mention the FIBA World Cup when it happens because we probably won't even care. Right. Did you watch the last World Championships? I remember watching it in college when Durant was on the team. I don't know if I watched it last time around, though. I vaguely recall, but it's hard to remember. Although I tell you, and Zion dropped out. If Zion was in it, it would have been a story. But, you know, and that's the problem, I think. Like, everyone's like, oh, like, Canada's going to win some games. Like, they're going to be scary. Like, you know, you're going to have Wiggins and R.J. Barrett. Maybe that was better before summer. Like, I'm not sure, but... It's like, I just don't think that guys, I just don't think it's as important to players as we want it to be, especially because the best players now have been involved with USA basketball since they were 15, 16, 17 years old anyway. And those guys are used to going over there. So the experience isn't quite the same as it used to be as well, like you said. So I think like that's probably one of the bigger things about it. But also James Harden just played like 10,000 minutes. Right. And so if you make the effort, like if you're, if you're Thaddeus Young, 
and you get to wear the Team USA jersey and maybe go to the Olympics, that's great. I understand the appeal. I just think if you're getting like those fringe second tier guys, I'd rather it be the younger guys than, you know, like the guys who are, you know, one contract away from the big three. Right. Yeah. <laughs> maybe Joe Johnson could still be a pretty good Olympic player. Yeah, that's another way to go, too. If you just went like Vince Carter, Joe Johnson, that would be kind of a team to root for, too. I do wonder if the Olympic Committee, well, not because here's the thing. One secret that I will let you in on, and I don't this is not sourced either, but I guarantee you that Adam Silver does not care about NBA players playing in the Olympics. That guy does not want Paul George wrecking his leg again in a, international play. Well, I think eventually in the next five years, I'll give you a prediction unsourced. I think they're really going to try to push for, you know, like a world cup of basketball that they control and that the players benefit from. Um, It's a good idea. It's a good idea. Yeah. And so you just tell the Olympic committee, sorry, we're not doing your thing. We're doing our own thing. Um, I think it would be big and and I think the NBA would accommodate them by, you know, adjusting the season if necessary. Right. And it it would be different too. Cause you know, like even in soccer where obviously the world cup thing works, a lot of like really good, national soccer players don't always play in the Olympics, but they do play in the world cup. Like that matters more in soccer. And I don't know if that's a a, a type of thing that you could kind of really get behind in basketball. If the NBA players, you need to be like, look guys, we're getting, you're getting 20% of the profits for this, as opposed to, you know, you get a salary for winning the gold medal. I think they'd be more invested. And I think the international games at a point where it could be um, not competitive, but at least get garner international attention. Yeah, I, I could see that. That's a, I mean, that's a pretty good idea. What would you, just off the top of your head, the U.S. would obviously be the favorite. Who would be next, in your opinion? You know, I'd have to look at the rosters. You know, Spain was always good for a while, but I think they're too old now. Um, Canada's up and coming. I mean, definitely Canada, like Jamal Murray, R.J. Barrett, Andrew Wiggins. Like, that's a, that's a and Thon Maker and his brother, not Thon, but his brother's quite good. And I mean, they have a good young team. I don't know if they're deep enough, obviously. That's the problem is like the U.S. depth is so good. What about like Australia? Well, actually, the teams that I think are the most impressive are like a team like Lithuania, because like the country of Lithuania has 2.8 million people. And we have over 300 million in the U.S. So if you have a country with 2.8 million people and you could at least field a competitive NBA basketball team. Olympic basketball team, that's like per capita, pretty impressive. So I think teams like Lithuania and Slovenia and all these like Eastern European teams are, I think, the most impressive in in that sense. I would agree with that. I I mean, and those guys, like that's the other thing, like we don't know, there there are so many good like international players that we don't know about because they don't necessarily come over or you know, maybe they played over there for a long time that end up being very good. And I, I just remember like, it's the whole like Carlos Arroyo effect or with Lithuania, like Saruna Yasakevicic, Yasakevicic's played at Maryland and then went back overseas and all, you know, he'd been really good overseas for a long time. I think he's now the coach of the Lithuanian national right. team, but I, he's, I don't think he is, but he's a famous coach there in their league. Oh yeah. In the Euro, in the Euro league, I think. Right. Yeah. And so guys like that, you know, you never know. Plus you got guys like Andre Bloch with Filipino citizenship that <laughs> they'll go play for some other teams, which would make it kind of interesting. I think you don't yeah. think, well, I don't think they're competitive, but it'll be fun, you know, get a, get a silver or whatever the equivalent in the world cup is. I don't know. Well, you so you're saying you would go right to bet online and you would just immediately hammer the United States at like minus 750. It can't be the odds can't be that crazy. It is that crazy. Well, it depends if it's one in the Olympics. It's like a eventually a pool where it's eight teams and it's a you know winner winner go home. And in those circumstances, you can get upset. So, but if it's like you know if all these teams played an 82 game schedule, I think the Team USA would win you know 76 games or something like that. 
That's pretty, that's, uh, that's pretty bold. I think 76 games. That's pretty bold. All right, real quick. Let's, uh, let's, uh, let's do some ads and then we'll get into what we really planned to do, which was kind of yeah, do we're some... talk about the best, the kind of like summer grades, you know, like best summers, worst summers. We're each going to make our picks for each conference. Right? I'm not, obviously we're not going to assign letter grades though, but real quick, uh, if you're looking for the best sports coverage on the web, other than the underdog sports NBA show, check out the Dan Patrick show on podcast one Sportsnet. Join the sportscaster Monday through Friday as he covers the biggest games all year long with a whole bunch of A-list guests from the world of sports and entertainment. Download new episodes of the Dan Patrick show every week only on Apple Podcasts and of course, Podcast One. Uh, you're so you're so millennial, by the way. No grades, you know? Gosh, what a soft generation. Pass, pass <laughs> fail, pass fail, that's it. Yeah. Uh, such a hippie over there. But uh, I prepared for this grades because I'm writing a big, thick red marker. And the way I prepared is by reading The Athletic. With you know the NBA offseason winding down, the Athletic is a great place um, to find insider knowledge about all the teams, all the inside scoops. They have the best guys. They have guys like Shams. You know we could have listed you on this list if you were a, a good reporter, but you're not. Right now it's Shams leading the way. Sam Amick, David Aldridge, ton of great stories that go deep dive. Every knowledgeable fan should be um, visiting the Athletic and subscribing. And to do that, we're going to give you a promo code. Visit theathletic.com backslash underdog MBA, you get 40% off the yearly subscription. Really dear, dirt cheap prices. They, they come out with great articles every, every day. So it's well worth your time. Um, the cost of like a latte at Starbucks. So do it. All this content. Our subscribers, again, have a special offer. Go to theathletic.com backslash underdog MBA. Get that 40% off. So you want to start with the East or you want to start with the West? Um, we can do the East. You're, you're out East, right? What is Nashville? Is that East technically, I guess? I think people call it the South. But I mean, like, for example, we have the Memphis Grizzlies, but I would say more people here are probably fans. I would say more people here are Atlanta sports fans in the professional, oh, that's interesting. In the professional realm. But we get Fox Sports like Southeast and Fox Sports Midwest. So, so wait, just talking about Nashville, like the average fan in Nashville roots for the Hawks over the Grizzlies. I would say that no one in Nashville really roots for NBA teams as a whole. Uh, but yeah, I would say there's more Atlanta professional sports fans here. It's it's mostly Tennessee Vols and then like SEC football and then Kentucky. Kentucky basketball like ridiculous. But I would say, like, for professional sports, it's, like, Braves, Falcons, Hawks, probably more so than, like, the Grizzlies. Because I, it's just a weird – I don't know. The, Memphis is, three, like, three and a half hours away, and it's right. it's weird. It's not, like, but. it's not like Lithuania. There's probably more people in Tennessee than Lithuania. I To tie it together for our Nashville fans, we ranked our three – we each have separate lists, best off-seasons – worst off season per conference. And I'm appealing to those Nashville fans, Atlanta fans, because I ranked Atlanta as having the best off season. Oh, this will be great. I have Atlanta on my bad off on my not great off season. Well, let's go through what they did. Um, I, I'll give you my case pro for them. You can give your case against them. I think Atlanta is just rebuilding in such a smart, practical, patient way. And, you know, Again, we're grading this offseason. So if you didn't like the Luka Doncic, Trey Young trade, that's last year. This year, you have Trey Young. How do you build around him? This is a guy who's a great scorer, a great passer, terrible defender. He graded as the second worst point guard defender in the league last year. So what do you do? You surround him with defenders. They drafted DeAndre Hunter at number four. They drafted Cam Reddish at number 10. Um, 
I think that's exactly what they should be doing. They should be surrounding this guy with three and D players and bringing out the best in him. And I happen to be high on both of those players, particularly Cam Reddish, given the value. And they didn't blow their money. They didn't pull teams like the other and throw bad money around just because they had it in their pocket. They realized they're going to get better. They have a couple of years until Trey Young becomes eligible for an extension. And that's sort of going to be their window. Grow for the next two or three years. And just when you're ready to strike, spend your money, acquire that last piece to push you over the top. I think it's a great plan. I think Travis Schlink has done a great job with this rebuild. Okay, so Atlanta, I have them as uh, one of my not-so-favorite off-seasons. Let me, let me do this. I will tell you what I think about them, and you tell me why you think these are good. I think the biggest thing is I don't, because we include the draft in the off-season. It's just the nature of the business. You, you have to. Uh, you know that I like Cam Reddish, but I do think there's very high bust potential there, although at the 10th pick, you're a little bit more insulated than you uh, would have been to begin with. But I just don't – I don't love DeAndre Hunter at four. I've told you this before. Like, I'm not sure if the shooting is going to translate. I, I don't really think that a guy like him merited that type of pick. Now, I, but again like, – and, and a trade-up in your defense. They traded up for him too. So that's even more doubling down on DeAndre Hunter. Right. I, I, I just think, like, they gave up so much for that. They gave up, like, 8, 17, and 30 – to go up and get DeAndre Hunter, who's a guy who very well may be close to a finished product. I've told you before, like the one reason I don't love the Kawhi comparisons are that like he's not as big as Kawhi, like his frame, his shoulders. He's not the rebounder that Kawhi was. And we don't know. We know he's a good defender. But again, Virginia's defensive system is really, really hard to just judge like, man, this guy will be a great NBA defender because they don't guard like that in the NBA. I also hated they signed Jabari Parker. That made zero sense to me. Like, why would you want like a ball stopper who doesn't defend? I thought that was very bad. I didn't understand Bruno Fernando. He didn't do any screen and dive in college. Now he could be better at that. Mark Turgeon didn't really play that way. I thought that was a very odd draft pick. Then they gave him the most money of any second rounder. I didn't think Atlanta got a lot better. But again, if DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish are very good, then they're going to be better. Also, like they got rid of Kent Bazemore, which is fine. They get Evan Turner, who's more of a kind of like mentor. But what's Evan Turner going to do in Atlanta? Like, they're not going to let him be a second-unit point guard, but you're paying him a lot of money. Yeah, well, he's, he's coming off the books next year. And I, I think it's like, what do you do if you're a young team with tons of cap space, $50 million? I think they were smart. Instead of signing, like, B-minus free agents, they use it to acquire bad contracts. They acquired, like, Chandler Parsons, you know, Evan Turner, Alan Crabb. And what you get with that is an asset. So you you acquire Alan Crabb and you get the 17th pick in addition, and then you use the 17th pick to trade up for DeAndre Hunter. So it's not like the trade up cost them anything more than like dead cap space that they weren't going to use anyway. I think there's like clearly like a method to this madness. And for Jabari Parker, I agree, he's probably not going to work out, but it was, it was a cheap flyer. I think it was like six and a half million. Last year he got 20. So, yeah, but then they but then they traded up for Amari Spellman last year, which obviously counts as that, and then flipped him for Damian Jones, who's coming off the books next year, and you're not going to end up extending him because he's not proven to be a screen and dive guy either. So it's like they got rid of like actual assets to go get other assets that I didn't think made a ton of sense. But I will say this: you know, there's there are very few people that are as big of Trey Young fans as I am. I do think that Trey Young is the right type of guy to have around Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter. Like he'll get him in the gym. I think that that matters. And so I think you're betting a lot on those two guys. And on paper, the fit seems great. But obviously, you know the issues that I have with Cam Reddish just in terms of his actual production. I think his projectability is great. But if there's a 5% chance he gets there and he doesn't. Well, and I will say this in your defense, like the buzz on Trey Young had a good rookie season. And there's this natural tendency, same with Dallas, maybe with Luca, like, oh my God, he's going to be an all-star now and this team's going to be so good. 
it's going to take time. I think that the over under, I think they was like 33 or 34. That's a little high. Like it's not going to happen this year. They're not going to compete for the playoffs this year. They might not compete for the playoffs next year, but I think they're building wisely to win in three or four years. And I think that's their plan. And I think it's a good plan. I think that's acceptable. I think that's acceptable. All right. My favorite East off season, uh, Indiana, I thought, they, they go get Malcolm Brogdon, probably a little expensive, but I think it's fine. Draft uh, Goga Baditsi, who I think is going to be pretty good. Trade for TJ Warren, another bench scorer. Sign Justin Holiday on a very cheap deal. I think one year, $4.8 million. Didn't really understand TJ McConnell, but then also get Jeremy Lamb. They got younger. They added more scoring. They added more scoring in ISO. They got longer, and they can really defend. I think Indiana clearly sees the Eastern Conferences up for grabs. And I think they're going to go for it. And they're expecting Victor Oladipo to be healthy and ready to go. And I think they're really, I think they're going to be really good. I, I do feel like they didn't want to pay for Bogdanovich and Thad Young. So I thought they wanted to get younger, longer, and more switchable rather than having to rely on kind of like defensive anchors. But I really like Turner and Sabonis together. I really feel like Jeremy Lamb, Malcolm Brogdon, and TJ Warren are guys that can really score it. And then, like I said, they get another 3 and D guy in Justin Holiday. I feel like Indiana has a chance to compete to win the East. I really do feel that way. You know, I ranked them, I won't go too long on this because I ranked them third best. You know, clearly added a lot of talent. I think they stayed relevant. They stayed in that 4 or 5 range. My one hesitation, as you mentioned, Brogdon, I think, slightly overpaid. Um, and you like the fit of Sabonis and Turner together. I, it seems odd to me still. Like, I don't see Sabonis as a shooter. I don't see him as a rim protector. I don't see him as a power forward. So how's this going to work? I think he's a, he's a small ball five. I think he's they're not going to play him. They won't, they'll play them together some because not because Miles Turner can make shots and also because Miles Turner is, you know, one of probably one of the 10 best defensive players in the NBA. But I think we'll see, you know, I, I do think we'll see TJ Warren as a four man. I think we'll see... Doug McDermott a little bit at the four. I, I do even think like we could see Jeremy Lamb being like really, really small at the four. Like I do, I think those well, things hey, could definitely Do you want to see the all TJ lineup? TJ McConnell, TJ Warren, and TJ Leaf together. Do you want to see that? I don't know. I don't really ever want to see TJ Mc, I don't really ever want to see TJ McConnell play. But I do think, like I said, I think they got a lot better. I think they replaced their scoring. I think they got better. I think their shooting got a little bit better, even losing Bogdanovich, because I think they got some guys that could make shots and create a little bit more offense. But again, it, it, the Oladipo part is the part that's the most important. If he's healthy and re- ready to go, I think they'll be really good. If he's not, then these additions. They protect themselves too by adding more uh, wing depth. My second team, this is a hard one. Like, do you count this as a skill or not in terms of your grades? But I have Brooklyn just by nature of signing two stars. And, you know, everyone tried to do it and they did it. So congratulations. Um, I think it was necessary for them. I don't think their current core, I think it had maxed out almost. Uh, um, and I think they're going to be a genuine title contender next, not this season, but next season if Durant's healthy. And, and that's what the goal was. They out Knicks, you know, they took the Knicks plan and just did it. I, I had Brooklyn as my guy, as my second team as well. Uh, and just to, so people know, we didn't talk about these in advance. Hence why I had Atlanta on one of my worst off seasons and, uh, and had them as his top, but I had Brooklyn as well. And I think it's a really interesting way of looking on how to like build your roster because very clearly I, Brooklyn could be the same as next as last year like they could win 45 games or whatever and make the playoffs or they could be worse or they could be better but you know pretty clearly as long as this Kyrie KD pairing works out which we don't know that it will we don't know that KD will be healthy they're going to be title contenders for three years probably at the minimum so I would agree with that it's just the bottom line is you get one guy who's one of the best three players in the NBA one guy who's probably one of the best 15 players in the NBA you keep Spencer Dinwiddie you keep Jared Allen you still have Karis LeVert 
you know, you kind of get a little bit better on the edges and, uh, Torian Prince has a it will play a role there, and I think Brooklyn did a really good job. I think Brooklyn did an awesome job of selling themselves as a destination for guys, and they deserve credit. Change the perception of the team, and the, with the whole move to Brooklyn, everything around the team is sort of like the manifestation of this decade long plan. Um, who's your third favorite in the? I, I pick Chicago. I think that you know I don't love Jim Boylan. I think it's really interesting. I do love hearing him talk. He talks about spirit and soul all the time. But one of the things that I think they did was. They kind of got some guys that embodied how Jim Boylan wants to play. You know, adding Thad Young as a veteran and then adding Tom, uh, Tomas Sadoransky as a guy. Those dudes play really hard. They can play with a lot of different guys. You don't need to necessarily have the ball in their hands. So I think those were two very shrewd acquisitions to go along with how they got Otto Porter be able to play with Zach Levine. They obviously drafted Kobe White. They have Laurie Markin and Wendell Carter's injured, but expected to be healthy. So I, I think they have a lot of guys that are capable of playing. I really like Daniel Gafford. I know it was summer league, but they added another screen and dive guy, which they maybe didn't have before. They have a stretch four five with Markinen. Carter can kind of play both positions. And then, like I said, they have some wings that can really do some damage. So don't know if I'm ready to pencil Chicago into the eighth spot, but they're not going to be the worst team in the East. And I think they did a really good job of getting better. Uh, you know, I considered them too, for that same reason. I think they could be a sneaky decent team and i think they could like it could click and they could make the playoffs the only reason i didn't is just because i like all their moves except i'm just not a big toby white fan their draft pick i think he's projects as like an inefficient scoring point guard is not real point guard um if they had taken like darius garland like a guy i was a little higher on i would have given them an a i just think that's the one hesitation with projecting them in like kobe white is he i'd rather you know i don't know i don't know about him is the one piece of this puzzle that i don't feel good about it's not really fair to say that they should have taken darius garland like no they didn't have the chance but they did take <laughs> i mean like I, but, I guess they could have taken Nikel walker walker alexander and yeah. he would have been more excited about that probably not at seven though i mean it, we have the we i thought kobe white was actually pretty good in summer league you know i, I think it's going to take a while and it, it seems very clear that the bulls are going to bring him along slowly it seems like it's going to be Chris yeah Dunn and, and, and that, I, i'd be fine with that like if you have yeah sataranski's startable and if if you keep cody white slow play and make him earn his minutes my fear with him is like he he had the keys at, at unc and and if he just comes in guns blazing in chicago and tries to jack up 20 shots a game it could go badly but slow playing him makes sense there's a lot of you know young talent on this roster and I think they're ahead of the curve on a team that I like, like Atlanta. They have, they're more ready to win now. Yeah, their ceiling, their ceiling may be lower than Atlanta, but their actual, like their ceiling in the long run might be lower than Atlanta, but they might actually be better than Atlanta for the next two years. I do want to do one other, I want to shed light on one other team that I think had a, a better offseason than people are giving credit for. I think people are just crushing the Wizards, and I like to crush the Wizards, as you know because their GM search was a joke. They just restructured their front office. But I do want to say something. I think Tommy Shepard did a pretty good job considering this is going to be a bleak season in D.C., right? Like, there is not a lot to be excited about. They may or may not trade Brad Beal with John Wall. Who knows? It's probably not happening to Miami. But there are some other things we've seen, like somebody on Twitter posted a Minnesota trade that might make sense. But he didn't add any extra money to the books. One of their goals was to sign Thomas Bryant for a reasonable deal. They did that. He's added some second-round picks. He also got Mo, Mo Wagner, Isaac Bonga, like two guys he was that are like kind of lottery tickets. He's added some other, you know, Ish Smith is a one-year deal. It's a guy that can't really hurt you. CJ Miles, another guy that they've liked. So they've added some shooting. Davis Bertans is a guy that's really interesting to have in your system as well. So given the fact that the Wizards are probably going to win 28 games, it sounds like their offseason stunk, but I do think they did a lot to kind of prepare them for this season after this one. And if we're looking, they were never going to compete this year anyway. So I actually think the Wizards – 
not one of the 10 best off seasons, but I do think not one of the worst. I think like not one of the bottom 15. I would say they probably had like 11 to 14 best off season in the NBA, <laughs> well, which I think part, is, I'm glad you're participating in our top three, bottom three role. Talk another millennial trade. He just doesn't care about the rules Don't apply color outside the line. All right. Pick your worst off season in the East. I'm, I'm, I'm sure we both, agree. I have Atlanta as my third worst. So okay. we'll just get on that one, but pick your worst, worst? off season in the, in the East. <laughs> Well, you know what? It's only one. It's not even the whole offseason. It's just one contract, really, that I don't like. Charlotte, is Charlotte your worst, too? Yeah, I have. Char- I think I put Charlotte at the top because they were the one that came to mind. I don't think they had the worst offseason. Well, it's it's like I it, their offseason made sense. I like letting, you know, giving Kemba Walker like a decent offer, but allowing him to go, not paying him the max, super max. It, they would have been stuck in place. They te- this team and Cleveland need to you know, lose 65 games next year. You have to, you have to get really, really bad. And so they took a bunch of steps backwards, but then it's not even close. The worst contract of the summer is Terry Rozier. Just some numbers. They gave him, um, he, he's a pretty good three-point shooter. He th- shoots 35%. I think that's actually below average, but that's his best quality. He can shoot okay. From the field, these are some numbers. 38% for his career from the field. He doesn't get to the kid doesn't convert at all inside the arc. He shoots 40% from two. He doesn't get to the line. He does. He gets averages less than three free throws a game. Um, all told his career true shooting percentage is 49% in a league where 55% is average. And that's what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to be a scorer because he's not a great passer. He's not a great defender. He doesn't have like good basketball IQ. He's got off and out of control. You just signed an inefficient score to $19 million a year for three years. And there was no reason to do it either. Boston did it as like a favor to them. Like it was very clear Kemba was going there and then they just got Terry Rozier back as like a favor. Like that makes zero sense. You guys need to be trying to lose games now. And, and they're not trying, I mean, they're going to lose games. Don't get me wrong. Right. But like, and like, if I say, oh, Terry Rozier's bad, he's going to help them lose. You don't sign him for three years then, you know, sign him for one year, give him 20 million for one year or whatever. You know, I think there's some cap rules about that, but still don't do this move. It's that one is, yeah, that one is just brutal. It's just a terrible decision. It's one of the worst. Is is it one of the worst? I mean, I think Terry Rozier is going to average like 18 points a game, extra 20 points a game, but he's going to have bad percentages and, and, you know, not contribute in a meaningful way. It's one of the most baffling contracts I can remember. And, and Mitch Kubchak, the GM, has been behind a few of those. Yeah, I, I don't Again, and I don't even think, like I said, like I think that Charlotte's, it, it, when we grade off seasons, whether you give them A through F or you give them pass fails. It's a fail on this one. I, I think yeah. what's, well, that was my point. I think what's important is to kind of understand what teams were going for, which is where like when we get to the West, like I think everybody thinks Oklahoma City's offseason was horrendous, but in general, given what Sam Presti had to do, they probably had as good an offseason as they could have had. They just didn't expect to be in the situation they were in. And that's where it kind of comes to my, I guess, like second worst offseason, if you will, because I had Charlotte up there too, but it's just like they were supposed to stink. But obviously, like the Knicks, you know, I don't even think what they ended up pivoting to was terrible. But the Knicks' expectation was they were going to sign Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And worst case scenario, they went to Brooklyn. And then the Knicks just pivoted and were like, we're going to sign 27 power forwards and just try to compete for the eighth spot, which may happen, but they just had a bad offseason. Like, I don't mind Julius Randle. The deal's fine. It's a two-year deal. I told, I said this. They went out and got Marcus Morris for $15 million a year. Yeah, just to, had- the specifics on that, the power forward splurge. Julius Randle, three years, $60 million. 
Bobby Portis, two years, 30 million. Marcus Morris, one year, 15 million. And Taj Gibson, don't forget, two years, 20 million. So that's 60, 60 plus million dollars in guys that we would all consider power forwards. And, and, and power forwards who like need the ball. Like Julius Randle is better with the ball in his hands, but you just drafted RJ Barrett. You still have Dennis Smith. So like when you go out and make these decisions and you say, we're going to compete for this sixth, seventh, eighth spot in the East, which they very well may do. And all these guys are on contracts that are up in 2020 or 2021. Like, that's great, but like you ain't getting Anthony Davis in a year. So it's like you could have been out there doing what the Hawks were doing and absorbing veterans for cap space, like getting picks back, making sure you can build this up because you're probably not going to be able to build this back up in free agency in a year or two. So I thought this offseason, just in terms of expectations, was this was an F. Like I didn't hate the moves. I don't, because I think competing is fine because the Knicks don't typically compete, but like based on what they thought was happening and what they ended up with, like this was, this was, this was a fail. Like there's just no other way around it. They just did a poor job. And I think they pivoted fine, but it, it doesn't change. I don't, th- I don't think they pivoted fine. Like they're, I, they're second worst for me as well. And it's just the idea that they're chasing the playoffs. I, I just don't see it. I, I don't see this team. These are not like winning players. Like Julius Randall and Bobby Portis have not contributed to a lot of winning basketball in their NBA career. Rand- Randall, I think is the one guy that like, there's a chance. Like I've been Julius Randall. I like Julius Randall. Injured early. Like he's defensively kind of a disaster. Um, just cause he's small, you know, he's not like a, you know, he's not like a rim protector. Like, you know, Enos Cantor described Zion as Julius Randall with hops. And it's kind of accurate. Like Julius Randall can, can handle the ball. He could pass. Um, he's very aggressive on the glass. It's just the, the lack of athleticism coupled with the lack of length makes him a bad defender. Yeah, when I was in college and Julius Randle and Andrew Wiggins were like the top two players in the high school class, I remember asking one of the assistants who worked for the uh, for the team what he thought. And he said the one thing he didn't like Julius Randle was like he, he wanted to be Chris Webber. Like that's who he's always wanted to be. And that's a guy who like would take the ball out of the rim, like loved how he passed. And he, he said like he doesn't have the same feel that Chris Webber did. But that is exactly right, Sam. Like that's who Julius Randle wants to be. Like he wants to facilitate and he can't really do that. And they could have done something else like Julius Randle and Bobby Portis, like just pick one. Like those are both guys who are going to put up numbers and want the ball or Marcus Morris and Taj Gibson. Just pick one veteran that you want to sign. You know, you don't need the cl- this cluster F of, you know, potentially difficult guys who all want to play. I mean, not that they're bad guys, but these guys didn't sign for 20 million to play 20 minutes, you know? And, and the other part about this is like, everyone talked about how they had 60 million that they needed to get to the salary floor. Like you don't have to get to the salary floor until after the season is over. So you can wait and see who's panicking and who wants to give you picks and who needs to open up spots for like buyout market teams. Like you can wait to do that in well, the middle of the year. Why, that's why the team that you disliked, but Atlanta has done that exceptionally well, but it's, taking bad assets like why can't the Knicks take one bad contract and get an extra pick well the reason I had him as my third worst I just thought that what they what their vision to me everyone seems to think it's like super clear right I think Travis Schlank has done a pretty good job and obviously hitting on Trey Young if we think that Trey is going to continue to get better at this rate is is awesome and I, like I said I t- I advocated for drafting him in the you know number one overall last year for part of the year I, I really did like wow. I think he's that good because like I think you can win with a guy like him. I don't think he's Steph Curry because I don't think he shoots it quite like that, but he's more gifted as a passer. Like, but here's the thing, like they've taken assets and they've gotten them, and then they've made curious decisions with those assets. And that's where I think Atlanta doesn't quite know what they want to be. Like it doesn't make sense for them to have Bruno Fernando, Damian Jones, and Alex Len on the same team. It makes zero it makes zero sense. 
And then well, like, I think they just don't care. They just don't care about center, I guess. That's their that's their philosophy. But but okay, so they gave up assets last year to get Amari Spellman, and then instead yeah. of waiting to see what he does, you turn around and flip him for somebody who you're definitely not paying. Right. Well, Amari Spellman, going back to Atlanta, clearly uh, that didn't make sense on paper. They drafted him and flipped him. They must just he must be a problem, right? You've you've kind of mentioned before that he's kind of a questionable guy. Right. And it, it, there was rumors that he was well over 300 pounds in the middle of the year at Nova. He had some real uh, weight issues and some knee issues because of that. It's possible that like you just missed on that pick and that's okay. You don't need to, because you made a mistake doesn't mean you need to compound your mistake, but it's also like you have John Collins, right? Where is Jabari Parker playing? Like you have Kevin Herter, you have, uh, you have Kevin Herter, you have DeAndre Bembry, you have John Collins, you have DeAndre Hunter, you have Cam Reddish. Where is Jabari Parker playing? Like, why would you pay money to Jabari Parker, a guy who hasn't? We don't we legislate. The, the, I I like Jabari. I've always been. You know, I'm stubborn. No, no, but but it's not, and, and but then you also you also have Alan Crabb and Evan Turner. Like, so essentially, and Chandler Parsons. Like, and Chandler Parsons again. We talked about him a lot last year. You have a young team. Chandler Parsons likes to party. There's nothing wrong with that. As far as I know, he does his work. He's always been injured. But like, do you want Chandler Parsons? in Atlanta around your young guys? Like, yeah, I think Trey Young, I mean, I've seen Trey Young's hairline. He might need help getting curls. So you need a wingman. You need like a Roger Dodger veteran to kind of help you. So my point is though, this roster is so fractured and it's like, it, it, it seems to me that they've made some, I think they've made some curious decisions with some of their asset management is all I'll say. Okay, I, we, we mentioned that. We talked about Atlanta. Enough Atlanta. I won't even mention the East is kind of a, a mess in general. There's not a lot of great teams. My third team we don't even have to spend time on is just Toronto. You know, it's just they didn't do anything wrong. They just didn't sign Kawhi Leonard, you know, and that, and that leaves them, you know, they're going to inevitably fall, to, you know, 10, 15 wins or something and become, you know, fighting for the playoff team. It's, it's not they didn't make any bad decisions. It's just that the results were not in their favor. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I had them on there. The other team I had, just real quick before we go to the West, I had Orlando on there too. I think continuity is important. Uh, I thought Terrence Ross was the second worst deal of the summer. $50 million for a guy like that doesn't seem great, but it's pretty clear that they just want to run it back and they think they have a chance. Yeah, that, I agree with that. The, that, you know, scratching your head, Orlando won, what, 42 games last year. And they just want to return the same team. And, and it's okay. Like continuity well, matters. Shows you, like they think, you know, maybe they think their path forward is um, Jonathan Isaac becomes a superstar. Or maybe they think Markel Fultz is real. That's like, they have to think one of those two things. Otherwise you would not. Think but then they also drafted Chuma Okiki, who like just didn't really make sense. You could have drafted Nikhil Walker-Alexander in that spot and like gotten another point guard when like you really need shooting. So Orlando, just a curious decision to me in regards to what they were doing as well. Like, just because there's nothing wrong with running it back and being competitive and, and paying Vucevic, who the fans like, and paying Terrence Ross, who, who makes shots at a high level. But it's like, if you're going to pay Terrence Ross $55 million, like, why are you going to draft somebody that's not able to, like, play this year? And why are you going to get more length and athleticism when, like, you know, so that to me was, was, I don't know, that was weird. So I thought Orlando, but I didn't think Orlando had a bad offseason. No. It's just like a, like a missed opportunity. I don't know if there was much opportunity, but they, it's just they kind of just held serve. Um, do you want to get to it? Do we have time for the West? Yeah, top of the West. I think we both agree, right? On I'll give my first. I'm I'm certain it's your first as well. I got the clip. I got the Clippers. I, I mean, they transformed themselves from a seven or eight seed to, in my opinion, the title favorite. They not only did they add Kawhi and Paul George, but 
J. Michael Green makes sense. They're looking at Andre Iguodala still. Like they're they're deep. They're talented. They've got juice at every position. I mean, I think it was clearly the best offseason in the NBA. I agree. And and it was some of these teams, like say Indiana, it's like, oh, you know, we want to have a good summer. It could mean the difference between 50 wins and 44 wins. I think for the Clippers, this was like the biggest make or break summer. Cause like I don't think like if they didn't get anyone and they ended up with this sort of mediocre team, it would you would have been saying, like, what are the Clippers doing? They're stuck in this abyss forever. It didn't make sense. None of it made sense. Clearly, there was like a method to the madness of them staying afloat and then landing these superstars to put them over the top. I, I agree. I mean, it's a transformative summer for them in terms of their roster and also like Brooklyn in terms of the perception about the franchise. Yeah. So Clippers, I think it's just, it's just pretty clear. And the one thing I will say is one of the reasons they were able to do that is because of smart front office management before that. Like Lou Williams is on. I thought you were going to say because of tampering. That, you know, well, uh, yeah, I mean, that's possible. But like Lou Williams, for example, like he's just on a really reasonable deal, probably the best contract in the NBA right now for a guy that's really a huge contributor. And so they had more space than they, you know, maybe needed. And, and then they capitalized on that. Uh, my second team, I think this one's fairly simple. Uh, New Orleans – Again, whether or not they win the title this, like in the next couple of years or not, just in the situation that they were dealt with with Anthony Davis, they traded arguably a top five player in the NBA and their team as their outlook for the future is, I don't know, Zan, a hundred times brighter than it was with Anthony Davis. Like they added Zion, they added JJ right. Redick, they added Nicole that. Walker-Alexander, they added, I don't love the guys from the Lakers, but again, like a change of scenery might matter. I mean, New Orleans, it's just not enough can be said about a fact that the fan base probably thought their team was going to be God awful. And now if you're a Pelicans fan, like the next five to seven years seem like you can definitely win an NBA championship. And I don't think that was the case with Anthony Davis. It's funny. I had New Orleans number two as well. And it's for the same reasons. It's, it's beyond Zion. They won the lottery draft Zion. Congratulations. You didn't do much to earn that. Um, It's sort of like the Knicks in the sense that like the, the Knicks just threw money around, like, in a way that didn't make a lot of sense to us. Like New Orleans made a lot of moves in different areas, different plans, but they just added a ton of pieces that kind of all fit in a way, you know, like you add veteran shooter, JJ Redick, you add veteran big man, Derek favors, you have, you know, shooters around Zion. I really like Nikhil Alexander Walker, as you mentioned, they have a little bit of everything now. And it's just a matter of like, is this team ready this year? Maybe not. The West is so tough in the East. I would say they're They would make the playoffs. Um, and then it's just a matter of, you know, can Zion stay healthy? Can Zion be in top shape? And it's not going to be too long. Can his prime overlap with Drew holiday at all. Um, I, I like that. They did a little bit of everything in the right way. And I think new Orleans is just chock full of talent right now. Yeah, I think so too. And and again, like, you know, the, the Derek Favors, JJ Reddick, Drew Holiday, like whether those guys will be big members of the team while, you know, right in their title window, we don't know, but they obviously have a ton of picks as well. It's, it's very rare that a team improves their future while also improving their present. And I think New Orleans did that. And that's a credit to David Griffin, who I've been critical of on the show before, just in terms of kind of how he's viewed around the league, but he did as good of a job in that situation as possible. And so I, I feel like it's... No, I agree. Yeah. And again, like Jackson Hayes is a guy that I think is going to be a star. Like I really do. And it's, it's just a situation where you think like, man, they killed it in the draft. In my opinion, they got places that help everywhere. And so good on new Orleans. Right. And hopefully like as a small market team, like it really hits, uh, who's your third team. Um, I, I kind of cheated a little bit, Tyler Laurie style. 
and glump these two teams together because I think they're similar. And if I had to pick one, I would pick um, Utah over Portland, just in the sense that, you know, all these superstars are moving around them. Everyone's going to LA. The Lakers are going to have potentially a super team or the Clippers are going to have a super team. And Houston has these two stars. And, and Utah, I don't think, could stand pat and just like watch these other teams pass them. So they acquired Mike Conley. They acquire, you know, Bojan Bogdanovic. Um, they just added more shooting, like a very targeted acquisition. Those guys are very expensive, but they fit the need. This team is like really well built. Um, I think they're going to be a top three seed. And, and I don't know if they're going to win the title, but they, you know, everyone moved a step forward and they, and they kept pace, I would say. Okay, good one. Utah, obviously everyone really liked. I have Denver as my third team. And the reason I, I, I think they did a good job is I think people realize like Denver has a lot of assets. They're very, very young. They obviously were very competitive last year. I thought they did better than Portland. I thought they did better than Utah in one what, regard. What did they do? They didn't do anything. No, they went and got Jeremy Grant. Okay. So they get Jeremy Grant, a guy who I think is it fits perfectly with what they do. I think standing pat, they obviously, maybe they'll get Michael Porter back. Maybe they won't. We've talked about this at length in the show. Like who the hell knows what they can expect out of Michael Porter. What I think about Denver is that they realized we need to get better on the margins. We were very close before there. In my opinion, they're better than Portland right now. I think they're probably close to as good as Utah. I don't know if they're better than Houston or the Clippers or, you know, the Lakers at full strength, but I think that they recognize that their path to getting better wasn't quite as easy as people thought without giving up pieces that they believe to be foundational. So trading a first-round pick, that their first-round pick, there's no chance that their first-round pick was going to be as good as Jeremy Grant. So I think you go get a guy like that who is a definite starter in the NBA and maybe an above-average starter, it's going to improve them defensively and offensively because you have another guy who can make threes at a high level and who can cut really well and who can catch lobs from Jokic. And so I think that Denver did really well just making one specific move that I think is a small thing because their first-round pick next year is probably going to be 25 to 30 anyway. So I like the subtle the subtle moves. Cause I, I would say like, I think Denver needed to do, I don't know exactly what the move is, but like Utah tried to make their team better. Portland tried to make their team better. And I think Denver's similar in quality to those teams. And they just basically stood pat. I guess you're thinking Jeremy Grant is, if his shooting is real, his improvement is real, then maybe that's a bigger acquisition than I think. I mean, and that's kind of how I feel about it, that I just think he's a really good fit for them. I think, I think it gives them more depth. And I think they lost so many games last year to injury and they were still really close. Like, I'm not saying that they would have, and I don't know how they would have competed in the Western Conference Finals. And obviously, they played way above their head at the beginning of the season. But Jamal Murray's 22 years old. Yoke's just 24. Gary Harris is 25. Jeremy I mean, Grant's how 25. Close, how close were they? I mean, they, they lost to a team, Portland without um, Nurkic, and a Portland team that ended up getting swept. So I don't know if Denver was like really. I just think that teams learn how to win. And I think when you add a guy that's been around a playoff team in the past, who's right, he's getting into his prime. You have two young, I think Jokic is a superstar. I don't know if Jamal Murray is going to be a super, superstar, but he's really good. I think you get a chance to learn how to win. I think standing pat, but improving on the margins was a really good thing for this team. This is why I said like Portland to me. Second round pick Bobo will play for them this year. Will he play more than 10 minutes a game? No. Not more than 10 more than, Will he play more than 10 games? Or will he be in the G League and buried in the bench? That's a good question. He's the type of guy that I could just see being injured all year. I don't know. I would probably get under 10 games, probably. But I don't know. I'd have to think about it. I do think one of the things, though, too, and I've said this before on the show, like with Portland, in regards to like why you like their offseason, like Bazemore is a great addition, but like this is a team that's one big move away from actually 
potentially being able to win the title, and it's not Ken Bazemore. Whereas Denver, Denver is closer, in my opinion, because their players to me, like, I don't know how many levels. Dame Lillard, he's amazing, right? He's been, like, top five MVP votes the last two years. But, like, you ain't winning a title with this version of Dame. You need more than him. You need more than CJ McCollum. And they're, that's not Bazemore and then Nurkic getting healthy. I think we both know that. Or Hassan Whiteside. Like, that's – so I had Portland as a I had Portland as a bad offseason. Yeah, I had Portland as a loser. Well, I'll tell you, I'll defend them then because I agree. Like they're not quite in their final form. You know, like if they're they're if they're Voltron, they're missing like a leg. Um, so you get that reference? That's a little <laughs> past your time. But is that um, a Transformers reference? <laughs> yeah, it's like you know, like this big. I don't know, whatever. The you know, it's like uh, or Captain. What's it called? Captain Planet? Did you ever see Captain? <laughs> Captain Planet? Planet? Yeah. Planets? you have these five rings that create Captain Planet and Voltron is similar. You need all five people together to create the super beast. Um, what was the, the guy, the, what's the fighters from your day? Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Didn't they have a big beast that they created too? I don't know. This is getting, Oh yeah. They, they yeah, they could create like a, like a super transformer when they all like join together or something. So like they're, 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 they're Voltron's missing a leg in the sense that they need one more piece and it could be, We've mentioned Kevin Love a lot. We've mentioned Danilo Gallinari a lot. Like that's the one piece they're lacking, which is why I didn't put them in my top three. But I do, you know, being one piece away is not a bad situation to be in. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. I, I just had him as a loser because I just think the white side thing's not going to work. Uh, but it could. I mean, you know, that's why you coach. They weren't my top. They weren't like on the top of the loser list anyway. Because I, I, like, I don't know. I, I thought Minnesota was a definite loser in the offseason. I mean, do we have, wait, do we have other winners? Do we have other no, winners? I mean, I, we pretty much touched on them. I mean, the Lakers, I didn't include just because I feel like they just, I don't know of what they did besides like, you know, listen. They got to, Anthony Davis. It's clearly a win, right? No, it's clearly yeah, a win. It's, it's clearly a win. I just don't know if it was like their win or it was like a LeBron, Rich Paul, like, whole, you know, win. I don't know. It's kind of an ugly summer. But I, I mean, uh, certainly based on talent, Anthony Davis is a big upgrade. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a win. I had Houston as a as a win too. I think they got better, and I also had Memphis as a win. I think Memphis got a lot better. I think they're going to be very bad. And they're not going to try to win, but they got off the Chandler Parsons deal, which was important. I didn't love Jonas Valanciunas three for forty five, but it's kind of like a whatever. Uh, John Morant, great. Brandon Clark, great. They took a lot of assets on as well to kind of get some picks. I think like the Mike Conley deal. So whether or not Grayson Allen's like in a straight jacket in a padded cell in a year, who knows? But I think Memphis I did agree. a good job. And it was a logical year. Like, and that's for Atlanta. Like it, there's a difference between like the thought process being correct and then the results being correct. Like Atlanta, like it makes sense to surround Trey Young with three and D guys. If Cam Reddish is a bust and he's not, and DeAndre Hunter's not what you want him to be, then and it's like an evaluation issue. But like your thought process was right. You thought they were going to be this. And I think Memphis in the same way, like, if John Morant is a foundational piece, then he pairs really well with Darren Jackson Jr. And if Brandon Clark can, you know, be a wrecking ball, a power forward defensively, then he pairs really well with this team. I'm not totally sold on all the pieces there, like living up to the potential, but in terms of like the logic behind it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I would agree with that. So who was your big loser? I had I had Minnesota too. And it's just so disappointing because like Carl Anthony Downs, I mean, like the stats are just like off the charts good offensively. Like offensively, he's been better than Joel Embiid, you know, and he he shoots 40% from three and he's 23 and he's a center. It's crazy. It, like this guy is, you know, one of the best players in the league offensively. And the idea that you can't 
cobble together a roster around him to make the playoffs is is bad. And they traded up for Culver, who, which we don't, which a, we don't love. But he could be good. He could be good. Wiggins is just he just is who he is. Culver Maybe plus Wiggins, it just scares me. I like Noah Vonley, but like I just feel like they had an opportunity to become like take a major step up, and they didn't do it. I think they. I think they the Culver thing is the one that kind of just throws me for a loop. I, I don't understand the trade up for him, and but again, this is a valid evaluation. If I like DeAndre Hunter more than Culver, if 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 I felt differently, it would be the opposite. So maybe Culver is the next Jimmy Butler, but a good egg. I don't know. Well, they did do my. They did sign Nas Reed to a fully guaranteed first year deal. So I love that we got the Jersey backcourt of Cat uh, and Nas Reed, or New Jersey frontcourt. Excuse me. But yeah, I agree. One of the things I do have an issue with, like labeling them a massive loser, though, is I'm not really sure what they could do. Right. Like Andrew. Like ideally, you would break up Culver and Wiggins, but like, can you trade Andrew Wiggins? I don't know. You're probably not doing that. Like, and if you're going to trade, like I said, I can't remember who posed this Brad Beal trade with Wall, but like you include like Culver and Wiggins in that deal, and then you just kind of go for it. But the problem is, like, you're right. You have Towns's extension doesn't I don't think kick in until next year. So like. And he he just came out and said that he he's happy with the franchise. He's committed to the franchise. Let's check back in two years. Let, let me give you let me give you some Carl Towns intel. Okay, let me give uh, you this. Do you want to save it? Just off podcast, write it in your diary and bury it in their closet somewhere. I like Carl Towns as a kid. Uh, I gave him a campus tour at Temple when he was a freshman in high school. When he was still, everyone loved him at that point. Super nice guy. I don't know how important it is for Carl Towns to like win basketball games. And I don't mean, and, and I think the Jimmy Butler kind of feud, obviously we know who Jimmy is, but I think we're not in a situation right now where Kat's going to come out and say like, I want to go play somewhere else. In two or three years, you're right. That could definitely happen. He could be like, I want to go play with Kyrie Irving or something and go to Brooklyn, you know, cause he's from Jersey. I don't know. But I think right now you probably do have some time with Carl Anthony Towns. Cause like being the focal point and getting better and like having a good time, like that's pretty important to Carl Towns as well as a young guy, you know, but he is 23 and like, this is it. You know, you're now on the clock. You got him as his five-year rookie deal coming up and like, you got to figure it out. And they did not, in my opinion, do anything to try to figure it out. Like their roster is so embarrassing to me. It's like, like, tell me, I'm going to read this, this roster to you, right? Wiggins Towns, Jeff Teague, but that's a good trade piece. I think right now, Gorgie Jang, Covington, Jarrett Culver, Jake Lehman, Josh Okoji, Von Lay, Shabazz Napier, Travion Graham, Jordan Bell, Tyrone Wallace, Keita Bates, Jop, and Nas Reed. Like, how many games is that team winning? 28? That's what's disappointing, too, because it's like we were one of the structures we we're going to do for this podcast was like, you know, who has a realistic chance to make the playoffs? I would put them in that lower class where they have less than 25% chance. I just don't know what the path forward, unless Jared Culver is a star. Um, I think that is it. One. Yeah, I think I, that's I, it. But what are, what are the odds of that? I think that's less than 25% chance, I, certainly from day one. I, I just don't think there's a path forward to this team to to make the playoffs this year. And for a team that made the playoffs two years ago over Denver, that's really disappointing. Yeah, I agree. It's like you saw they, them and Denver kind of were at like the same level and Denver went this way, like Denver like ascended way up and now Minnesota's way down. And I think we're going to see a situation where like they have to get off that Wiggins contract because... Well, and also like this is just conspiracy theory. I don't have sources like Tyler Laurie. Allegedly, they were interested in D'Angelo Russell and that kind of makes sense. They need a, a secondary scorer for, for Carl Anthony Towns. Darius Garland kind of makes sense for them. So they trade up to six with Phoenix, which was a target for point guard so you're jumping past phoenix 
Number seven was the Bulls who were looking at point guards. So they must, in my head, they must have thought Garland was falling to six. And that's why they traded up. And Cleveland jumped them and took, not jumped them, they surprisingly took another point guard. And I think they got caught with their pants down. That's my conspiracy theory. Everybody knew Cleveland was taking, I, I thought like that was like, this is, this that, is you knew that too. Is that another tweet that you saved in your draft? I file? didn't know it, but nobody, like, I don't think they thought he was going to be there. And if you really wanted to get Darius Garland, go get number four, like go get four overall. It's not like it wasn't freaking available, you know, like everybody knew it. So, all right, who's your second loser? And you know, I, I'm not, I don't feel too strongly. I think the West is really strong. I don't, I don't feel enthusiastic about this, but I had to fill out my ballot. So Sacramento and Phoenix, I just don't think they did enough to get me excited that they could make another playoff push. Um, I think Sacramento kind of overpaid a couple of veterans. Phoenix, I think overpaid Ricky Rubio. I, I don't mind some of their other moves, but it's just, it's, I don't see them as, you know, likely playoff teams. I don't see, um, it's hard to get excited about either team right now being different than we saw last year at least with sacramento there's sort of a vision the phoenix thing is weird because like the veterans they went out and got were like they traded for dario saric as part of that like deal to move back then they drafted cam johnson which i think is fine they got ty jerome i think that's fine but then they signed ricky rubio to a big deal they gave kelly Oubre jr 30 30 million dollars they gave frank frank kaminsky 10 million dollars like though aaron baines is on that team like i don't know what phoenix is doing like i and again there are things to like about were they one of your teams or no I had Phoenix as no, they were not actually. I had I had Portland as my uh, second word. Well, I guess hold on. I guess I'm cheating a little bit because I had Oklahoma City with question marks because I do think a lot of people just on the surface would vote Oklahoma City's offseason bad because like here's the thing: you went from having Paul George and Russell Westbrook, and now you have Chris Paul, Shea Gilgis Alexander, and Danilo Gallinari on a team that was not able to get out of the first round last year. They're certainly not going to be able to get out of the first round this year. But I wasn't sure really like do we view their offseason as bad? I mean, Sam Presti did a great job in... No, I like that getting all the picks. I like the tank. I mean... I think can't they move off Chris Paul, though, it seems. Right, That that's the problem. Like, I coming into this offseason, if I was in their camp, I would say, look, we're maybe not one Voltron leg away. Maybe we're two limbs away. But there's enough tweaks we could make to make this work, even as much as I just like Russell Westbrook. But as soon as Paul George comes to you and says, I want to trade, then you have to rethink the whole thing. And so you have to blow it up. And the idea of Chris Paul, like their, their offseason would get a really high grade for me if they had dealt Chris Paul for whoever, whoever, even they deleted him from their books. Um, but that's like the one hanging thing. Gallinari too, I think they should try to trade for assets. So it's sort of like we're, it's not like question mark. It's more like incomplete. Right, right. TBD on that. But they did a good job. I, I, Portland was the other team that I had on there. And like I said, I thought, I think Portland is the one team that has a very clear path to being a title contender and they were not able to kind of really maximize that. And part of that might be that they really believe Nurkic is a big get for them when he comes back. And I don't happen to believe that. I don't, I mean, Nurkic and Hassan Whiteside together, like just in terms of a personality fit, like I think that's going to be difficult. Portland. Well, stressed- I, don't think I don't think they're thinking that. I think they're thinking Nurkic is out for next year and, and Whiteside's the filler. For maybe. Them. Yeah, maybe. I've heard that Nurkic could be back in the middle of the year. But anyway, like, you know, Bay's more good. Like, they need shooting. But they drafted Nasir Little, who I don't I don't love. Like, that that doesn't really do it for me. Anthony Simmons or Simons could be pretty good. Like, but again, I, I just don't, I don't know. Like, Portland to me is a missed opportunity. So maybe I give them a TBD as well. The other team that I have is Dallas. And I know we talked about this. This will be my last one. I just don't really understand why does Dallas have so many bigs? Like what, what is going on there? Like 
Like you have Porzingis, I get it. That's who they're considering to be their free agent, free agent acquisition. So you're playing Porzingis, and then Luca's going to be your point guard for all intents and purposes. Get DeLon right, I like it. You get Seth Curry, I thought they overpaid for him, but it's fine. But then like you have Dwight Powell, you sign Dorian Finney-Smith, who's really not a small forward. You sign Boban, like you sign uh, Maxi Kleber. You know why? Like what? What is the deal? I don't think they're all bigs. They, as you mentioned, a lot of guards. Salon right. I don't know. What do you, I mean? What did you think of Dallas's offseason? Like so to me, like these Dallas, Phoenix, Sacramento teams, and even I'll even throw this out there. Like San Antonio, I think a little bit of addition just by getting some guys back healthy, just like Dallas with Porzingis, but like. These are the teams that I would say, like, when we classify them, they're, like, very clearly middle class in the West. I would say Portland's actually in there right now as well. Like, but these are the teams that are all going to be competing for, like, 7-8 in the West. Dallas? I don't think Dallas is even in that mix, to be honest. Like, oh, I, I, think, I think they very clearly are. I, you don't think so? I think they very clearly are. I, I, I mean, again, the Luka Doncic thing, it's like, are we sure he's going to get a lot better? <laughs> I, again, I don't know. I, he's he doesn't strike me as quite the same as Jason Tatum, where he was just so polished. I think there are some things with Luca, like obviously he can lose weight, you know, and and I think like they can he can be a better shooter for sure. It's not like his percentages were through the roof. He may just be a volume bad thirty two percent from three, seventy one percent from the free throw line. Right, he may just be a volume three point shooter. So it's I think Luca has more. I think Luca has more like ceiling. But yeah, whether or not he gets there, I don't know. And, you know, playing with Porzingis might unlock a lot more with him as well. So I think, I just feel like Dallas's offseason, does Dallas, they have to feel like they're trying to compete. That's what I'm saying. Like, and that's where when you sign, you know, Dwight Powell, you give him 30 million, you give DeLon Wright, you know, 29 million, you give Seth Curry 32 million. Like when you go and sign those types of guys, you have to feel like you're competing. And it does maybe feel like Dallas is a year away from that. Right. Yeah, I agree. And it's, it depends on Luca. Is he taking the step up? Is Porzingis, you know, playing 65 games a year? I think that would be a win. Um, and I think they fit together well on paper. I mean, I don't think there's any issue in terms of that. Uh, and the coaching staff is good. You know, everything about the teams is fine. I, I just, I think they're just in the West. I think they're about five wins away, 10 wins away. And I, so I, I haven't really thought of them as a, you know, there's really just not that many spots in the West. I don't think there's any spot up for grabs. I think that was like the biggest thing while looking at this is like the teams in the West that I thought had poor off seasons are the teams that either added guys that I, you know, to compete when it seems very stupid for them to compete or didn't do anything. Well, like, just like, look at this exercise. Like, you know, we were talking, we were the one thing we we're going to talk about maybe was open playoff spots. Take out Oklahoma city. They made the playoffs last year. Insert the Lakers. I don't think there's another playoff spot. I don't think there is an eighth fight for the eighth seed. I think Golden State's going to make it easily. I think Denver's going to make it. I think Portland's going to make it. I think Houston, Utah. I think the Spurs are, Are I mean, maybe they're the most vulnerable. Is, is Dallas going to jump past the Spurs? I think Portland, I think Portland, Golden State, San Antonio. But these are teams that won 48, 50 games. I think those teams are vulnerable for sure. But so you think Portland who won you think Portland who won twenty more games than Dallas last year, fifty-three to thirty-three. Like you think that's gonna they're gonna catch them. I don't know. I don't know that they're gonna catch them, but I also know that they're that the West is much better than it is than it was last year. Like it's much better. The top of the West is way better. And I think like that's the problem. It's like I, I agree with you. Like we always say this with teams like like the last two years with Portland, it's like, ah, they're gonna underachieve whatever, and they just win fifty games. But like 
I don't. I don't know if the West is much better. I think that I don't think the top of the West is much better because Golden State is is worse. I mean, Golden State like an unstoppable. Nightmare. No, not in the, but not in the regular season though. Like Golden State in the regular season was kind of just like whatever. We'll make the playoffs and then we'll just win in the playoffs. And that might be the that might be the Clippers this year. Honestly. Yeah, I think the Clippers and the Lakers are going to be in that mix. I think they're going to win 50, 52 games. I don't think they're going to care about the regular season. I don't know. I like I said, and that's that's where I would say with the West, like with the East, like guys made some curious decisions for sure. Like I think some teams are not quite sure where they're competing, but like in the West, it's like everyone's like, like forget it, we're ready to go. And that's where I, you know, I don't necessarily agree with that, especially with a guy like a team like Phoenix. It's like. I would have rather probably Phoenix do what Minnesota did, which was nothing to try to get another high draft pick to pair with Aiton and Booker rather than drafting older guys and signing vets. Cause like, it just, you're wasting time. Like Phoenix is not winning 42 games this year. Like there's just no chance. I'll leave you with this. I'll leave you with this. It could get ugly. The disparity between West and, and East, just in terms of the depth. Do you support yes or no? You're on this the podium in the national debate stage. Do you support conference realignment and just the 16 best teams make it? Yeah, I would love to do that. I think that's way better. I honestly, there's no reason we need to watch Orlando or Detroit in the playoffs for it when when there's going to be teams, probably teams in the West that miss the playoffs that have more wins than them. It's not going to happen. I totally understand it with travel. Like I get it. But well, can I, I do we have time to my bold. No, solution? we don't. No, I'm like the AOC of this because I'm we, on. We, the we, we will say we will say I'll this for, next, for next time. Next time I, I I'm going to propose to you. Green New Deal <laughs> conference, New Deal, why the NBA should go to four conferences. Save that for next time. All Put right, we'll save time. we'll save that. I am at CYS Tyler on Twitter. Here's don't snake it, athletic. I, I think the athletics probably going to steal that idea. So go on. What's the promo code again? Just to make sure people know. Athletic.com backslash underdog NBA. Hey, can you just monitor to make sure they don't steal my four conference idea by next week, please? All right. I am at CYS Tyler on Twitter. He is at Zan underscore Ellison. Shoot us an email. Zandrick Ellison at gmail.com. Happy to hear any comments. And uh, Zan, it was less of a pleasure this week. Because <laughs> Why? Because you're you were making fun of me, but it's still always a pleasure. And we will be back next. We'll be back next Thursday. Oh, we'll be next next week to talk about the scoops that Tyler knew about two weeks prior. <laughs> Bye, guys. Finally talking about it. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show with your hosts, Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Tune in next week for more NBA storylines and news.